message you are about to hear is brought to you by the Word and Sound Ministry of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. God bless you as you listen. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. We can never thank you enough, Lord. We come before your throne of grace and mercy. We come by the blood of Jesus. The precious eternal blood that was shed for the remission of our sins and the redemption of our souls. We come before you, almighty God, by the blood that has overcome the enemy. And even as we've gathered here, Lord, we plead that precious eternal blood of Jesus over everyone that is here. Over this entire auditorium. We ask, Lord, that the blood of Jesus today will bless us. Father, we ask, Lord, that it will make our hearts even so fertile soil, that we may receive your word, Lord. And we ask that your precious spirit will enable us to do that which we shall hear today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today I want to look at um, still a time when kings go to battle. This is Therefore, a time when kings go to battle, part two. Um, the text is still First Chronicles chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even unto Dan, and bring the number of them to me, that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people an hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a curse of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. And all they were of, of Israel were a thousand, thousand, and a hundred thousand men that drew the sword. And Judah was four hundred thousand, four hundred threescore and ten thousand men that drew the sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them. For the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. And therefore he smote Israel. Verse 8. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly. Because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away, do away the iniquity of thy servant. For I have done very foolishly. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Now last digging deep. Many people were not here. We started this subject. And I asked that the Bible says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And the question I asked was, Why did Satan stand up against Israel? Why did Satan stand up against David? Why did Satan provoke David? And why was it that he was actually able to provoke um, David? Because David, as we all know, was a man after God's own heart. It was not just you and I. This was David himself. And I said that to understand chapter 21 of First Chronicles, we had to look at chapter 
20. So I'm just going to do a recap. I'm not going to read all of that, but we'll just do a recap of the things we talked about last Digging Deep. We noticed that in chapter 20, the Bible said that at a time when kings go to battle, that David tarried still at Jerusalem. David refused to go to battle. He was battle-weary. He decided to stay in his palace and rest a while. And I explained that staying from battle, staying away from battle, is like retreating to the place of rest, to the place of comfort, to the place of being at ease, the place where you, your guard is down. It is actually taking yourself to Rephidim. Rephidim is that place of rest where Amalek attacked Israel. And so Jerusalem, where David rested, could be likened unto Rephidim. And as we know that whenever we come to the place of rest, whenever we come to where our guard is down, the flesh will always rise. The enemy will always attack us. And David was attacked by the enemy because it was at this time that he sinned and fell into adultery and took over Bathsheba and killed her husband, Uriah. So, we find that all of this, that's all of, we see this in, in First Chronicles chapter 20, that this David that got battle weary was the same David 20-25 years ago who had killed Goliath when he was in his teens. First Samuel chapter 17, from verse 45 down, we see David and Goliath. Then he was just a shepherd boy. And if you understand that, after he had killed Goliath, Saul tried to kill him several times. He ran, he hid for his life. Over a period of time, he finally became king of Judah. Then he became king of the whole of Israel. Then he fought, he got Jerusalem. So this is not something that just happened immediately. It, it took a long time. So that this David that brought the ark to Jerusalem is this same David that at a point in time got battle weary said his men should go and fight himself, themselves and he stayed at home so we find that the enemy never rests he never really leaves you alone so that the place where David said let me just rest a while is the place where he fell and the proof of the fact that the enemy doesn't rest, we see in that First Chronicles 20 from verses 4 down. Because verses 4 to 8 tell us that after this set of battles, the Philistines that David had defeated suddenly resurfaced. And not just as enemies, they resurfaced as giants. We learn that even Goliath had a brother called Lami who came forward we saw or we see a giant that was even bigger than Goliath. But the Bible tells us that each one of them, David's men, destroyed. It was after the destruction of this last batch of giants that the Bible says that Satan himself stood up to take charge of the situation. The relevance of all of this to us is simply this. I explained last week that 
We are all like David. When you kill your Goliath, is that place where you, you do away with sin and you just quickly hop over onto the side of Christ. You become a fresh Christian and life is different, hopefully. And um, you, you really love the things of God. You have killed your Goliath. But that's, we find that the Christian work tends to get tiresome and weary. That instead of people to always be ready to stay in the place of battle, over time, there's a tendency of believing that we have paid our dues. There's a tendency of letting down our guards. There's a tendency of going to refidim. There's a tendency of going to the place of rest. And as we get there, we find, as we see in the case of David, that the enemy is there to strike. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So that as years go by, for most Christians, they really become battle weary. Particularly those for whom the frustrations of the promises of God seem to have fallen by the wayside. John in the first epistle general of John from chapter 2 verses 12 to 13 tells us that there are three stages in the Christian walk. Stage 1 is the stage of infancy. He refers to people in stage 1 as little children. He says because the only thing they understand is they, they have been saved. He says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, are forgiven you for his name, for his name's sake. So that's, that's the stage when we destroy our Goliath, when we do away with sin and we become Christians. At that point in time, there's a lot of zeal. And easily people walk into stage two. Stage two is the stage described by John as the stage of young men. People like David in their teens, always interested in fighting, forever willing to do battle, always on their guard against sin. And John says, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. But then there is a third stage that every Christian should enter into. It is a stage of maturity. It is a stage where warfare is still fought, but more by wisdom than anything else. But what we tend to do at that point is we enter into the place of rest. Because you see, the thing is, I'm beginning to understand prayer, just prayer, because when we talk about warfare, a time when kings go, go to battles, in the Bible, for us, just simply means the place of prayer. It is hard work. That's why people come and they pray for a while and you just find that you're asleep and you wake up and continue praying again because it's not easy. But if you and I were just generally gisting about the evil that people are doing in church, we could talk for six hours and not one person will bat an eyelid. Prayer is not easy. 
So John describes stage three as a stage of maturity, which many never get to. He says, I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. The stage of maturity is the stage where you have come to know who God really is. You see, when you know who God is, it will be difficult for the enemy to provoke you to walk against God. It will be very difficult. But that's where the problem is in the Christian work. Many people go through stage one and stage two, but find it difficult to enter into the stage of maturity. And whenever you get weary, you find that you are really walking backwards because you are entering into the place of rest, the place of refreding. You are tiring still at Jerusalem at the time when you should be in the battlefront. And always the enemy will throw a deadly punch at you. As we see in the case of David versus Bathsheba. While David was resting, the flesh came upon him. And each time you come to the place of rest, each time you come to the place of weariness, each time you come to the place of being at ease, the only thing that you will find there, the works of the flesh. You'll not find anything else there. No matter how much you have word in the past, no matter how much you have been diligent, no matter how much you lived a holy life, once your guard comes down, you come down from the spirit realm into the physical realm. And in the physical realm, all you see are the works of the flesh. Let's turn to Galatians 5 and remind ourselves of the works of the flesh. Because there are many, as we go on today, that we'll find are doing the works of the flesh. But they don't know. Strangely enough, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Let's all just read together. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Are we all there? One, two, go. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So that no matter how strong you've been as a Christian, when we become battle-weary, when we get tired, you drop, as it were, from the spirit realm into the physical. And when you enter into the physical, you will encounter these things that we have just read. There's no dodging it. These are the things that you will meet when you leave the battlefront and come to the place of rest. And for some, it might not be fornication and adultery. But for some, it will be the case of just forever involved in arguments, strife, wrath, and things that when you look at everything, you find that at the bottom of it, for some, it will be envy. 
for some you just don't like the face of somebody but for many they actually do get into the real works of the flesh because if David who said the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want who destroyed Goliath who when he had the opportunity to kill Saul and just ordinarily just cut off a bit of, a bit of his garment and his heart the Bible says smote him and he repented if this same David when God had established him as king when he had built his palace when he had started putting aside money to build the temple this is David in the stage of maturity it is at that stage that David takes his general's wife and sleeps with her without thinking it shows you the type of works that you find when you leave the battlefront and you come into the place of rest because the flesh is what you will find there and after he had done that the next thing he did was to kill the husband the same David that said I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help the same David who said in the Lord put I my trust how ye shall say ye to my soul flee as a bird to the mountains the same David that said the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear many of us have never thought of these expressions from our hearts so don't sit in here today and think uh, me, no I can't touch adultery, I can't touch fornication if it touched David it was because his guard was completely down so let's go back to the text for today which is First Chronicles 20 what I've just talked about is just a recapitulation of what we discussed last Wednesday but we talked about, about a lot more things last Wednesday so some of you might want to pick up last Wednesday's, I mean last Friday we held it on Friday, the tape for last Friday but in a nutshell those are the things we looked, about, looked at we said this, these are the foundations of the reasons why Satan was able to stand up against Israel and against David Satan could rise and incidentally this is the first time in the Bible that Satan is identified as Satan if you take your Bible from Genesis to this place this is the first time God as it were decides to reveal the person behind the controversy with the children of Israel and the reason why this was able to happen was as we said David had gone to the place of rest one two had been entrapped as it were by the sins of the flesh so Satan was able to stand up against him because David to all intents and purposes had been caught with his pants down he had been caught in the place of rest with his garment soiled as it were and you see whenever you have that situation whenever you are in that state where there's something going on that is wrong somebody who is doing something else that is right when they see you they don't have to ask you it is easy to tell that there's something wrong always easy to tell that's very interesting thing about this Christian work so those of you who think that things can be hidden are real jokers 
immediately you enter into the place of adultery of the works of the flesh it's easy to see you just see the person and know that there's something not right you might not know exactly what it is but you will know certainly something is amiss and once that happens Satan always will resist you Zechariah chapter 3 let us turn there I want us to read verse 1 together Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 this is the second time you see Satan or rather the third time the second time is in the Psalms then the third time is in Zechariah Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 let's read together I want to go and he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him Joshua that we have been that, we have, that, that is being referred to here was the high priest now if you understand who the high priest is the high priest is the priest of priests he is like the pope like the archbishop he has people Levites and thousands of people under him yet he is being resisted by Satan not just anywhere but at his right hand his right hand is his hand of strength and if you understand that our strength is God he meant that Satan had the audacity to stand in the place where the high priest because one of the things about the high priest was that only him could enter into the holy of holies you know I spent that two Sundays ago and be before God so in that place where this high priest wants to stand before God Satan had the audacity to enter into that same place and say how dare you come before the presence of the living God why? the Bible tells us in verse 4 of Zechariah chapter 3 that Joshua had what? filthy garments on Joshua's life had been spotted by sin Joshua the high priest whose whole life was to never leave the battlefront must have entered into the place of rest must have lowered his guard and as I say at any such time you enter into the place of the works of the flesh and once you enter there your garments get soiled and once your garments are soiled Satan has the authority to stand where you are standing and to resist you well now we will find that many people do things that sometimes when you hear you say ah but I actually thought um, this person knew better than that it has nothing to do, to do with this is why the person we, we are using as a case study is David and we are not using David in his teens we are using David in the evening of his life, we are using David in the place of maturity but see the place of maturity many people find it so difficult to stay there and once you don't stay there remember three stages stage one you do away with your worst enemy Goliath your greatest fears you do away with that you leave the camp of the devil you switch over and become a Christian behold all things become what? brand new 
when a man is in Christ. And of course, the truth is, the enemy has a bit of a dozier on you. He knows who you are, and so he watches. Then what do you do? You become, you move to state two, the place of warfare. I mean, David fought a lot of battles. And you are always around. You are a prayer warrior. You are fighting. You are doing things. You are just sold out to Christ. But you see, the only person who knows why you are so sold out is God himself. Because many people are sold out for different, very, 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 very different reasons. Which I don't want to talk about today. But, for example, some people can become serious Christians because they are believing God for something. Most times, we are believing God for something. But as the years roll on and nothing seems to happen, your zeal begins to wane. And all of a sudden, you find out that that Goliath that you thought you had pushed at actually has brothers and sisters and nephews and cousins your worst nightmares, they start appearing before you. That's what, in a nutshell, happened to David. But let's look at what exactly was it that David did that was such a bad thing. First Chronicles chapter 21. And this is where I want us to pay a lot of attention. It says, And Satan stood up against Israel, and provoked David to number Israel. And David said unto Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring me the number of them that I may know it. Verse 3 tells us, And Joab answered the Lord, and Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times as many more as they be, but my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Lesson number one in this situation. David just wanted to conduct a census. Just a census. Point number one is this. The census we see was God didn't want a census. That's what Joab said to David. You are going to displease God. Why do you want to do this thing? David disregarded the fact that it would displease God. And David said, just go. I want to know how many people that there are. So that you see this man, David, for some very strange reason, the guy who said, one thing have I desired of you, Lord, that will I seek after all my life. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Suddenly they say to him, but the Lord is not going to be happy with this census. David says, shut up. Go and count. Let me know how many people there are. So you see that David has shifted, as it were, really and truly, from the place where he would never displease God to the place where he didn't really mind displeasing God. But that's not really what is going on there. Why did David want these people counted? When they counted the people, what information was given to David? It was information concerning the army. 
he wanted to know how many people were in the army, how many people he had who could fight. Why? You see, it's all still about warfare. So David was coming still in the place of weariness. Somehow, somewhere, David came to the place of saying, I've never really checked how many people I have in the army. And these wars don't seem to end. I better just double check how many people there are. What do we call that? It is living or moving away from walking by faith into the place where you walk by sight. That's why you have said to him, what's your, what's, your, what's your problem? Since when did you want to check how many people are, are there? You've always gone out. God has always solved the problem. David said, George, 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 let me know how many people there are. Now let me explain how that has to do with each person that is here today. You see, when we come to the place of rest, how you know that you're in a place of rest is that you lose faith in almost everything. You see, lines no longer are black and white. They become gray. And with God, it's either black or white. You're either hot or cold. He even hates it when you're lukewarm. But what we do is we come to the place where we are really lukewarm. We come to the place where we begin to think with our minds, with our God-given intelligence. And we come to the place where we begin to question the rationale of the Christian faith. Somebody told me the other day that because there are so many people out there who, 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 who just have refused to come to Christ, that he has a deep burden in his heart for them. And so he wants to create a forum where they can come to. And there will be more Christians there than the worldly people. And that somehow um, they will bring these people to Christ. So I said, I see. I said, how do you intend to do that? He just knows that it will be done. But the question to ask you and I is, did somebody create an environment that you always liked before you came to Christ? Because it makes sense. It does. How am I going to reach out to prostitutes? I'll go and chat with them and tell them about Christ. Go and do a research of prostitutes who came to Christ. You will find out that it was the Holy Spirit that pulled them and brought them to Christ. Do a research on your life. You will find out that it was God that took you and brought you to Christ. But when lines stop becoming black and white, when people are in the place of rest, when people are no longer prepared to stay in the battlefront, they begin to want to see the work of God with their human head, with their brain. Because some of the things people will propound will sound interesting. 
there are places today churches all that people talk about are philosophies of men and they make so much sense so much sense but Christianity is not about sense it's about on the contrary faith that's what it's about so I say well if my friend is having a party and Sonia Day is going to play why shouldn't I just go there maybe I shall speak the life of Christ in me will show forth because when you were at Sonia Day's party that's how somebody came and spoke and the life of Christ showed forth it didn't happen to you why all of a sudden have you started thinking that you will be able to do it for somebody else guess where those friends are to be brought into Christ it is in the place of prayer leave them alone but you invest one hour of prayer on, on them every day in six months they will wake up one day and come and look for you no but we don't want to pray no we don't want to pray we want to go to where they go to we want to associate with them when they see the life of Christ in me they will come to Christ around nonsense it doesn't work that way you see because this thing is not written by man he says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save somebody but you find today people say well why can't I dress and show people that Christians too dress well did somebody dress and show you all of her body before you became a Christian and just use your own experience many of you don't know how you became Christians you just know that you became a Christian but now we want to use the human brain to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do you and I can never save anybody I'm talking about this because that's one area where many who are in the place of rest have entered into they always have strange ideas about how to do the work of God very strange ideas and when you look well they are already doing things they ought not to do you see because I was talking to General Basia recently about Lekki 98 and he said something very interesting he said, people don't understand what is going to go on that day. He said, it's not going to be easy. He said, because you are leaving your territory and you are going into the enemy's territory. So he was advising us who are in the committee. There are some things we wanted to do. And he says, no, just leave all of those things. He says, don't you people understand that this is real warfare and that it's not going to be like going to National Stadium, that you are leaving and you are entering into the enemy's territory proper. She's going to fight it to a standstill. So nobody should just start thinking that you therefore cannot afford to do one thing that will give him a foothold. Because see, the truth is what happened to David? Why did David leave one? It would displease God. He didn't care. Two, 
if I don't know how many people I have in the army, how am I going to walk out these battles? He never walked out the battles in the first place. He himself said so. He told Saul when he went against Goliath. He said, the God that was with me when I punched a lion in the face, when I grappled with a bear, he will be with me when I go to Goliath. They put armor on him. He said, I'm not, this is not the way I've done this thing in the past. All of a sudden, the same man turns around and says, man, I've got to know how many swords there are. I really need to know how many spears there are. Something has gone wrong. Something has gone wrong. And that thing is happening to many Christians today. There are no more clear cut demarcations. A Christian who at the beginning, even when you when you when you switch at infancy, at infancy you really, really do. I, I know one or two people who are at infancy stage now, they're amazing. They are anywhere there's a sermon, they are there. That's it's but over a period of time, you suddenly start getting tired. You suddenly start getting tired. And then you became a Christian. You didn't want to see, after a while, you just don't want to see cigarettes. You don't want to see uh, drinks. Then later on, you say to yourself, ah, if I don't go to where they smoke, how am I going to help the person who smokes? How? Was it people who came to where you were smoking who brought you to Christ? I'd like to see how many of those people who it was that they came to where you were busy doing your smoking. That's when they picked you up. It doesn't work that way. Think about it yourself. It's God who just touches you and pulls you. All of a sudden, many of us want to do the work of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden. And guess what? Daring is refuting. Daring is staring still at Jerusalem. Daring is living the place of the battlefront. And all of a sudden you find that there are no longer black and white lines. Many Christians today stand on the ground of compromise. That's where most Christians stand. And these are people who at the time when they are in their, the stage of young men, they had time. They could attend vigils. They could attend vigils. One vigil upon another vigil. If I just tell them there's a vigil here, they are there. All of a sudden now you now need to really scout around and beg people to come and pray. And you find that if you really find people who will come, you'll find the new people. The mature Christian is interested in, in, in sharing the word, you know. It's time to preach. But you see, you can't. You can't. Not when you are actually outside of the battlefront. There are no other ways of doing this thing. No other ways. Somebody said to me, but pastor, I really want to know, a Christian of solid standing, what is really wrong, really pastor, in my own, just sitting down here at home, just drinking some wine. The truth is nothing. But the reality is, as Pastor Ben said somewhere on Saturday, the Bible says so, a little wine for your stomach's sake. 
He said, is a little wine a glass or half a glass? Or is a little wine a bottle or two bottles? You see, because you are a spiritual being, when you start with a little, guess what will happen? You will suddenly remember how good it was. What you have been missing. And a little wine on your own will become a lot of wine later. And the next thing that will happen, adultery and fornication will fall. They work together. If you don't believe me, listen to the adverts on, uh, on Guinness. That's all they sell. Sex. They don't sell anything else. Because they work together. And as we are sitting here, there are people here who are sleeping with each other. In this, in this right now, here, here now. And then you still come to church. In fact, one person saw me last Sunday and said, oh, where were you? On, on, you went in church. I missed, I missed seeing you there. A thorough, reckless Christian that has become an unbeliever. I wanted to say to the person, what are you doing here? But I'm not allowed to drive people. You yeah, are missing me. Not sure. But that's what it is. And you know, the person won't even know. And the person will actually mean, ah, what the person is saying. Why? The person is asleep. It's not awake anymore. It starts one step at a time. And you can measure where you really are. By how much time you spend with the Lord. So simple. I said last, digging deep, there are people in church, city of David, January to November, they have never read the Bible. The only Bible they've read are, let us read together. That's all they've read. Even the one with every day with Jesus, they haven't read. In the whole year, you are here. I know what I'm talking about. It's not easy to read the Bible. It's not a novel. And you say you're a Christian. Of course. You and I know that um, you're talking about something else. And we're looking at a man, David. But you see, the thing about David is God says in his word that he alone had what we call the sure mercies of David. You and I don't have the sure mercies of David. So David got away with some of the things he got away with. Why? Because intrinsic inside David, he was a first-class worshiper. To worship is hard. To pray is hard. What will he be doing? The works of the flesh. You say, well, I'm not involved in drinking, but you, some of you, they, you talk the seeds of discord that you sow in church. Ah, it's one of the things, one of the seven things that God hates. People who sow seeds of discord. Them say, I didn't say. When you begin to talk too much, you are not where God has asked you to be. It's when you cross a line, what happens your vision becomes blurred. When your vision is blurred, you're not seeing clearly anymore. And there are many Christians who are not seeing clearly. Many. Today there are many problems. 
in life. To which if you open this Bible from cover to cover, you and I will not see the solution that many Christians want. It's not there. But we create solutions which are sorted out by what men and women have done research on in the world. And we take and bring it to Christendom. You can't do that. You can't do that. The next thing I want us to understand is after this blurred vision, how did Satan touch David? Did he bring a witch to attack him at night? No. He just touched him at the level of his mind. That's all. He provoked David. He just said to David, you better find out how many people are in the army. Every day, war, 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 war. Are you the only one to fight these wars? And you're not getting any younger. He doesn't change his tactics. He hasn't. Like a sister that people told once, and it was a lie they were telling her. They were always dressed like an old woman. <laughs> Try and dress young. And the sister told me, because one day she dressed young and asked me whether she was really nice. That people tell her that she's always dressed like an old woman. Well, I hadn't understood this subject well, so I told her that she was nice to dress young. But just dress the way you want to dress. It's not whether I dress young or old that fetches a husband. It doesn't. Christianity is a trap. You see, you can never, once you are born again, you can never, never go back to the place of being an unbeliever. An unbeliever is always an unbeliever. A born again Christian that is on the same level as an unbeliever is a dog that has returned to his vomit. He's not an unbeliever. A unbeliever is even better than you. But that's what we want to strive to do. You need to just push some of the things you want. Satan's methods are just the same. He said to Eve in the Garden of Eden, ah, take this fruit. The Lord knows you will just be like God. You will not die. You will not die. And because Satan, and because Eve was not at the place of battle, they fell. He went to Jesus and said the same thing. He said the same thing and said, Ah, if thou be the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And then whispered, Are you not the one who turned water into wine? I know what you can do. You made this whole world. The difference between stone and water and wood and bread, you alone know everything. You can do it. But what happened? Jesus was where? At the place of battle. 40 days of fasting, he was focused. So he said, no, I do those things that come from the word of God. No more, no less. If God says do it, then I do it. If he doesn't say that, I don't do it. And I don't ask why. Why is scientific? Why can't you have a child? Oh, the tubes are blocked. Once you believe that, ah, will you have a child? Now the talk of they say, 
you have no womb, just forget it. You have no womb, and we've not learned the techniques of making wombs yet. That's why only illiterate market women in camp who have no wombs get babies. They don't understand what you're talking about. They just know that there's a God, a very big God. <laughs> Sometimes the education we've all acquired is a major problem. But I wanted to show you something that what I'm talking about is so real in life. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. And as I'm speaking, please, those of you who know they are doing very bad things, today is the day we are going to try and tell God they are going to stop. You see, another way the devil destroys a place is he just takes a lot of vagabonds and pushes them into the place. And they just become a heavyweight in the place. But since we know, we will do something about it. Let's read together verses 12 to 14. Revelation chapter 2. 1, 2, go. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things said he that hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where the Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful matter who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Now you see, this is a church. Not even like us. This church was planted in the place where Satan himself had a seat. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that you guys are first-class warriors. This church he's writing to, one of them became a martyr. These are serious Christians. Then Jesus now turns and says, but in the midst of you people, some of you hold the doctrine of Balaam. What is that doctrine? It's the doctrine of gain. Itchy fingers for money. You will do anything for money. You taught the children of Israel how to stumble. What is that? It is doctrine of saying, let there be liberty in Christianity. Let us have Christian relationships. It is the doctrine of saying, we can't let prostitutes go to hell when you are not even sure that you are going to heaven. You know, the, the irony of all of these things that we do here is that, you know, at, until you arrive at Heaven's Gate, you don't really know whether you are going to go in or not. Nobody knows. Nobody. And it's a very difficult exam to pass, even for pastors. But you see foolish people around the place. They are so sure they are going to Heaven. So sure. But look at a typical church here. Warring, fighting with Satan himself. He knocked off one of them. They said, Praise the Lord, he's a martyr. We will not agree we are the children of the living God. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, But in the midst of you again, hey, there are some of you who have the doctrine of Balaam. Money is your number one priority. Two, your job is to cause other people to stumble. 
That's why those of you who, when you want to go to your party, go alone. Today we will pray that anybody who goes will carry another person. Let go alone. But it never works that way. You will find some yo-yo Christians to carry along with you. You never go alone. That's what he's talking about here. You become a stumbling block. Because you start telling them what's wrong with you. <laughs> you will be sitting down there like a plain Jane. What's wrong with you? <laughs> like somebody said to some, somebody said, somebody said, uh, you are working, you are, you are here in this church. You have no future. I said, how can anybody say to you, you have no future if you are working in church? With God, you have no future. Is it with man that you have future? Where they can just wake up and sack you any day? Have you, since we started, have you been sacking people? You know, people just say things and people believe things. Some of you, your job is to encourage other people. If he says he likes you, okay, I'll be praying there, I'll be praying there. If you don't like him, me, I could go like him. Uh, but I have been told before, somebody has told, people have told me before, let me not say somebody, that I don't know what's going on between those people, but if they're not serious, Pastor, I don't mind. There are all sorts of people inside church. And then because you are not well grounded yourself, when they tell that it is okay, <laughs> sit down there. <laughs> That's how you will just stay. You want to be like all those other sisters. And then you think about it, it's true. Where is God in it? You're like David saying, I want to know. Many times now, what Christians tend to want to do, double check, double check. It must make sense. If it doesn't make sense, it's not God. And so people do things that they ought not to do. They do all sorts of things. If David can take Bathsheba, sleep with her, and kill the husband. And you who don't know how to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You can do us. Yes. That's a typical church. They produce matters. They had serious vigils. They were contending with Satan himself. And Jesus says, you hold fast to my name and you have not given up. He said, then I still have a problem that's even there's fornication among you. Is it possible? Well, it's here. This is red letters. It's Jesus who spoke. This church actually existed. In one breath, a magnificent church. Because even Jesus says so. Then in another breath, they are committing fornication. They'll do anything for money. There are some Christians here. If, you, if, if the world tells you about them and business. They'll just tell you, ah, that one, if that, ah, better don't give that man some money. He won't see him again. The Christians say they're owing people. When they see them, they just take another route. Christians. Of course, you and I know they are not Christians. So that today's church is almost like the church at Pergamos. Like we have prayed this evening. Why do the hidden rage? And you all open your mouth and say those things. Now you don't understand the danger behind saying some of those things. If you did, you wouldn't say them. You can't say to God, I say, Lord, thunder from heaven against them. And you open your mouth and say, Amen. Then the next thing, you go and meet Satan again. 
you are knocking me on the head, then you play with him. He's going to kill you. Better believe it. And you know the irony of life. The irony of life is that the way God has ordained everything, if we forever stay in the battlefront, we will have all that we want. You'll have all that you want. Because the thing that tunes people off is always the issue of where are the promises? Where are the promises? Today you have a situation where you don't know, you're not sure. A woman will follow a man anywhere he goes. It's like the world. Because that's how it operates in the world. Boyfriend and girlfriend. The boy just, any, if he moves this way, the girl moves that way. If he moves this way, the girl moves that way. Then, at the appointed time, he flies off and dumps her. But in Christianity, it's the same thing. No focus. So, like, if the man says, I'm not going to church today, you to say, okay, let me just stay with you. Instead of you to say, eh? Ah, okay, I'll see you later. And go to church. You actually will stay. If the man says, this Sunday is the Sunday that um, I think I want to go to the beach. You say, okay, let's go together. You're a, a damn fool. Because you have, you have, your sight is blurred. You don't see God anymore. Who are you seeing? You're just seeing a man. And guess what he will do? He will let you down. Because the arm of flesh will always fail you. Not will sometimes fail you. Will always fail you. Personal gain. Fornication. A bit of drink here. Notice how if you drink a little bit of wine. One day. For those of you who have been toying with it. You find that you have tasted a bit of fine brandy. Why? Because you, you don't go back to where you are coming from. You just don't. It's too dangerous. And one thing always leads to another. Sleeping with Bathsheba brought the death of Uriah. One thing always leads to another. A little sip of wine will give you a little thought of brandy. A little drop of brandy will give you a little patting on the backside of a secretary. And the poor secretary will wonder, are you a Christian? Say this, my God, don't change you. We can't do those things and say we are Christians. But you see, it's not new. I read it for you in the Bible. You are not even in the seat of Satan. You are not contending with him. Those who were, were still doing fornication. They were doing adultery. They were playing around with things sacrificed to idols. They were acting as stumbling block. Stumbling block is what, they, what you do when you begin to preach another gospel. It's okay to hold hands. If you hold hands for too long, you are going to get into trouble. It's true. Because after that, you say it's okay to embrace. When we embrace for a long enough time... <laughs> Joy, it's okay to kiss. Step by step. That's all. Your sight has become blurred. You're not seeing clearly anymore. Today is a day of repentance. 
I want us to spend some time and just search our hearts. You see, some of these things, I've settled a lot on the things to do with flesh because there's so much of that. But then it might not even be flesh. Because at the end of the day, really, for anything to be acceptable to God, it depends 100% from what is the state of your heart. You do, do something for God and you're grumbling. He's not going to take it from you. If you're busy querying God and asking Him, where are the promises? He's not going to take it from you. He's God, you know. He's not you and I. And He doesn't owe us anything. We are the ones who owe Him. But if we know how to speak to Him nicely, He can give us all things. Shall we just bow our heads and talk to the Lord today? If you know the things you have done that you ought not to have done, talk to the Lord today and just say, I'm sorry. Just tell him you are sorry. And ask him to give you the strength and the grace to, to step out. That's what David did. When David saw the fury of the Lord, he said, Ah, Lord, I have sinned against thee. I'm really sorry, Lord. I'm really sorry. Even as we are praying, there might be one person here who wants to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm here today. I don't really know you. But from all that I've heard, I think I'd like to just enter into a special relationship with you. If you're like that here, put up your hand. And we'll put a card in your hand. And then, that's all. Then you can sit down and talk to this Lord. Is there anybody who wants to just say to the Lord today, Lord, just help me. I come to church, but I'm not really a Christian. Just put up your hand and take a card, that's all. So that we can write to you. But if there's no such person, it's okay. God sees us and knows our hearts. But I want us to really spend some time just talk to the Lord today. Try and just scan your life yourself. Where are you? Is God saying to you today, where art thou? Because you are in the wrong place. Are you sitting here today and tomorrow you are going to take some serious bribe? Talk to God about it today. Time to give you the strength to say no. And he will. Are you living here this evening? And you are going to end up in a boyfriend's hands. Then talk to the Lord today to give you the strength to say no. Your sight must be focused. It cannot be blood. It just can't be. I'm going to stop talking now because I want to pray myself. So... Some people must keep on hearing the voice on the microphone, but for now I'm not speaking anymore.
Stare our hearts and set our spirits. 
Jesus rise and worship you. Jesus, we stand before your throne of grace, your throne of mercy. Lord, when you said that it would be difficult for he that is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and your disciples said, then who can be saved? Your word was that with God all things are possible. And so we come before your throne today, Lord, to ask for mercy, almighty God. 
that I rain fresh mercy upon us today. Precious Spirit of the Living God, you alone are our strength. You are our comforter. You are our teacher. In those hearts that you have been grieved, in those souls that have quenched the fire of the Holy Spirit, Precious Spirit, rekindle yourself afresh today. Oh, be our guide. Because without you, we will never see clearly. Help us to see clearly. Help us to discern so that we may know the difference between the gospel of the living God and another gospel. Precious God in heaven, reveal your truth to us. Almighty God, guide us. For as many as have lifted up their voices today in repentance, we say that according unto your loving kindness, according unto the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out our transgressions before you today. Because your mercy endureth forever. We do not take your mercy for granted, Lord. But Lord, you are he who sent forth your word. Today, Lord, you sent forth your word. May your word, almighty God, even as we have received it, make us worthy of your mercy today, Lord. Uphold us, almighty God. Make us overcomers, almighty God. Grant us wisdom in our hearts. Bring us to the place of maturity, Lord, where all that shall count are the things that you want us to do. Because in that place, you will bless us with all that we desire. Blessed be your name, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. We'll take our offering. <laughs>